Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast inching ever closer to the college football season, which as of right now, we are still planning on having. And for the last couple weeks, maybe months even, there has been increasing pessimism. But this week, it feels like there's been a little bit of optimism in the world of college football and uh, maybe from a couple of unlikely places, including a big school in the Big 12 and the NBA, giving people around college football hope for what could be and uh, what's going to be starting up pretty soon here, unless we get uh, any other further information. We talked last week about the SEC Athletic Directors meeting in Birmingham and deciding to essentially postpone the decision until the end of July, maybe early August. We're drawing ever closer to that, but again, as we continue to to operate in uncertainty, fortunately for college football, I think this is a kind of no-news-is-good-news situation, so we'll have a lot more on that a little bit later in the podcast, but we want to start today, as we always do, with a quick recruiting roundup. Uh, Not as busy a week this week as the last couple have been, but a couple of guys worth mentioning, and we'll go ahead and get started with you, Wes, because I think you handled uh, Tyreon Ingram Dawkins last time we talked to him, and uh, his recruitment uh, continues to evolve, continues to move around, and it seemed like he was uh, you know, going to go ahead and make a decision. That might be happening soon, but he continues to take teams off of the list. So what is the latest with Ingram Dawkins? Yeah, he continues to sort of, like you said, shift his list. And um, he's had a top six and still has a top six, but just has changed around some of the, uh, you know, the teams involved there. I think the interesting thing, or really even the – probably the biggest takeaway for me with the top six is even though some teams have changed in there, um, you know, there's four schools. You look at South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and North Carolina. Those are the schools that were in the original six and remain in the new six. Um, You know, dropped Penn State, dropped Florida State, added Alabama, added Virginia Tech. Um, You know, those four schools that have been in it sort of from the beginning, I would say are the schools that at any given point you've maybe heard the most about as far as being a factor. Now, um, Alabama getting thrown into the mix, depending on, you know, how big of a priority for, you know, for them that he is, they're always a school you have to watch. And they were actually an early school that was mentioned to me as one that would be a big offer for him as well. So, um, yeah, his, his recruiting has been sort of interesting to follow. There have been several different potential decision dates that have all gotten pushed back. I think the the question right now sort of remains, um, what, what does the word soon mean? Uh, you know, he tweeted that a commitment would come soon. Um, you know, and the, even if that's his current plan, uh, could it, you know, change again? I think that's pretty obvious that it could. So, you know, I, I think this is a kid that if he could have taken visits, then he probably would have taken a bunch of visits this spring and summer and, enjoyed the process and all this stuff. And obviously that hasn't happened. Uh, he hasn't been able to do that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's sort of the the overarching themes there. Um, I still think at the end of the day, South Carolina is in the best spot. Um, you know, I, I checked in with, um, you know, a Gaffney source or two in the last week or so, and they, they tended to think South Carolina was still in the best position. That's something we've felt 
you know, really that, that South Carolina would have the most staying power for the entire time. I, I think it's how we felt. Now, have, have other schools jumped in there and, and been a, uh, you know, a threat to South Carolina? I would say, obviously, but um, the common denominator, the school that seems to always sort of be up there in the top group seems to be South Carolina. So uh, the latest I'm hearing is, is that I would still sort of lean that way. I don't, I don't know, Chris, if you've heard anything new lately or want to add anything, but that's sort of where I still stand on uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. And obviously, worth pointing out, he remains a massive, massive priority for South Carolina. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a priority guy. Um, you know, and, and really not a lot to, uh, to add there, Wes, just maybe a little bit more color in the, um, you know, like you said, a huge priority has been for a long time. And, and the interesting thing was, you know, and I think will continue to be, is tracking, you know, does he continue to communicate if we have, and it's still a question, I mean, are, is recruiting going to reopen at some point this season? We don't know the answer to that. Um, if it doesn't, are kids going to sign earlier? Are they not going to sign, et cetera? Um, and are they going to go take visits when recruiting does reopen? Now, we know Tyrion Ingram Dawkins has really enjoyed the recruiting process. He's taken advantage of sort of, uh, except for the visit aspect, because they haven't been able to do that for several months now. He's certainly taken advantage of that, and um, he almost he has almost decided um, in the past, and he's teased deciding, cutting his list and things like that in the past. And but it does appear that he's legitimately getting closer now. And so for me, the question is if he if he jumps in the boat, and and I do agree with you that South Carolina is in the best position right now from what I've heard as well independently. Um, you know, d- does he continue, you know, talking with other schools and things of that nature? And I, I tend to think regardless. Of, where he would commit to the answer is probably yes but i think you do feel good about you know if south carolina is able to hold on and land him at some point in the near future you probably feel good about the prospects of them being able to hold on to him for the for the long haul i think they're in the best shape right now Wes, when you see someone working their list around i mean after they've already essentially gotten a final list and as you mentioned georgia tennessee north carolina and south carolina all in that top group for him to essentially you know, move out five and six and replace it with a new five and six. Is that just an acknowledgement of, you know, hey, these guys either recently extended me an offer or, you know, have been reaching out to me lately and I want to acknowledge it? Or or is that like a real earnest kind of final push? Or maybe not final because, you know, the, the high school season hasn't even started yet, but a, a real significant push from Alabama and Virginia Tech? Yeah, I think a lot of times it depends on the recruit. And, so, you know, sometimes it is just a um, – you know, hey, these guys have, have put effort into me or this coach has continued to build a relationship. And, um, you know, I, I sort of always follow the visits as well. Obviously, right now you can't really follow the visits. Um, but in the case, this specific case, I think um, it probably means Florida State and Penn State have kind of just fallen off for, for whatever reason, either, uh, you know, something happened or maybe they're not reaching out as much. Um, you know, who knows the reasons. But maybe they've fallen off and I'd be very surprised if Virginia tech is, um, is a major factor here. Um, for the most part, his recruitment, I would say it's kind of been SEC schools plus North Carolina. North Carolina's always sort of had his attention a little bit, but, um, I think Alabama, you know, of the two Virginia tech, not really a factor, Alabama just being Alabama and just a name school, He's all, you know. He's sort of, I think, always been infatuated with the name schools as you sort of follow the recruitment. And um, so I would say Alabama is a real 
you know, team to at least watch, whereas Virginia Tech is more sort of just thrown into the mix for, you know, for, for whatever reason. And, Chris, we talk about this occasionally with recruiting because for a lot of guys, location is important because you want to be able to see your family or for your family to easily be able to come and, and have you see games. So it's not new to be having, you know, this as an important element of the conversation, but it seems even more so with what Wes mentioned earlier. Obviously, we're in a shutdown. You can't have on-campus visits, but it is probably going to be a little bit easier. You know, if stadiums are having limited capacity seating, but, you know, maybe not having official visitors, it would be easier, you know, for a guy like Ingram Dawkins to get down to South Carolina or, you know, Georgia or North Carolina relative to Alabama and Virginia Tech. So I don't know if this will be the case across the board, but with someone like that that does seem to have an eye on some of the schools that are a little bit closer, it makes me think that, you know, Florida State, Penn State, Alabama, Virginia Tech, what those other kind of peripheral schools have in common is that it's it's maybe just not feasible uh, for him to get over there at any point, even if restrictions do loosen up a little bit. Um, and I guess, is it fair to say that that's been a little bit of a trend in this class, or is this really just specific to Ingram Dawkins? Well, it is a trend because in some ways, um, now some guys weigh it more heavily than others. I mean, um, we've seen some prospects commit to schools where they haven't even been. We've seen some prospects, you know, maybe – uh, actually like the staff and, and maybe the vision at one school, but they don't feel like they can jump in at that school yet because they haven't been there, et cetera. I mean, there's virtual visits. People can actually go around and walk on campuses if they want independently, but you still have to go down and actually visit. And then if you do go visit, you can't meet with the staff and things like that. So you don't see that as much but sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the prospect. Um, but with him, you know, it, the, the thing that we do know is, and he did go out and see some places before things got shut down. I mean, he's been to multiple schools for visits. So that was, you know, a positive for his own recruitment that he was able to go out and see some places. Um, but not everybody's done that. Some prospects, you know, just were planning on going out this spring and summer. They didn't get to it. They're, they rely sort of on official visits, maybe to go see some places that are farther away. We just don't, don't know any of that yet. I mean, a lot of people whether it's prospects or people inside college football, aren't sure if we'll have in-person recruiting until, say, December. And then what you're going to see, Pearson, this is going to be even probably even more the case this year, is you're really going to probably see high, you know, college coaches rather push to get guys to jump in in December so that you know, if they do reopen recruiting at some point, they don't want guys going out and visiting you know, other places. So uh, most guys tend to sign in December. But I'm wondering if more guys, you know, guys that want to hold their spots, they'll, they'll sign. But are some other guys going to want to say, I'm not ready yet. I need to go see some more places. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really interesting, you know, dynamic across the board. And I know I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. But, you know, just back to Ingram Dawkins, um, you know, he was able to go and see some places. But I, I don't know if it was ever for him, you know, would he have gone and seen Penn State or Florida State? I mean, maybe. But I just don't know that those were ever going to be schools, you know, that were going to be as heavily on his radar. And South mm-hmm. Carolina has definitely played the the Palmetto State, you know, card with him. He certainly Ingram Dawkins knows, you know, what for instance Jadavion Clowney, an in-state guy, did at South Carolina and some others. And so that's something that's really, I think, he's considered pretty heavily along the way as well. Uh, I mean, that's a good tangent, and it, it's a nice segue into uh, the next guy that I want to talk about, and we'll stick uh, with you here, Chris. Uh, Malachi Bennett is kind of a, the opposite camp for South Carolina because he's from Alabama, so 
if he's going to have location be a, a significant part of his decision, whether it's because that's something that would have been important to him anyway, or just because of the logistics of, you know, traveling to, you know, anywhere outside of like a five-mile radius of your home right now. Um, he's someone that was expected to sign this week. That's been pushed back. Is that good news or, uh, or bad news for South Carolina? Well, it's probably good. And, you know, the interesting thing is this has gone through some different iterations. Malachi Bennett's a guy that South Carolina has been after pretty hard in this class as a true receiver prospect. He has an outstanding relationship with the staff, whether it's Will Muschamp himself with Joe Cox, Bobby Bentley, who's in the area, or, or Mike Bobo. I mean, all those guys have been involved. And so um, he's loved South Carolina. And originally he wanted to decide in August, sort of at the end of August, in conjunction with what, what could be the start of the high school season. Um, but he, we, we continued to hear South Carolina was in good shape, but he just wants to visit. Well, it sort of became apparent that, hey, that, that may not be able to happen, but he still was sort of moving towards the choice. Well, then he moved things up um, to what was supposed to be, you know, Friday. Um, he's now pushed that back. And what was interesting was around that time when he moved the time frame up, we started hearing a lot of old Miss buzz. And the, the link there is that, you know, those are the two schools that Bennett seemed to like the most. It's the two programs that he's singled out as having recruited him the hardest so far. But the difference there is that he's actually seen Ole Miss. I mean, he's been there in person. He's seen it. Um, there's still some indications that he really may like the idea, at least, of South Carolina better. But he just hasn't been. And so we've seen a lot of kids really sort of – jump in at places early for, for one reason or another, just to sort of, I mean, to go back to a point you bring up a lot, Pearson, Will Muschamp, the reservation term. And so maybe that's sort of it. But if he would have gone ahead and dropped the Ole Miss Friday, for instance, if he would have kept that timeline, it wouldn't be over. I mean, South Carolina would continue to recruit him. But now it just looks like he might just keep the process open and we'll just see where it goes from there. Well, and Wes, that's going to be the situation with a lot of these guys. And we've talked about I mean, I guess essentially this, but from the recruits' perspective, you know, what does it mean? When is their recruitment officially closed? How how long is it realistically going to be open? What's that window? How late is this going to go? And you and Chris have both said you expect uh, an uncharacteristically high amount of decommits at some point during this recruiting cycle, just as guys are, are able to go back on campus and make visits and do things like that that will actually change their mind. But we haven't talked about it as much from the school's perspective and with at least the South Carolina High School League's decision last week to uh, essentially implement a plan of ultimate flexibility but pushing the season back, shortening the regular season and shrinking the playoff field, now all these schools that have, you know, sent out these offers and have done a lot of legwork on the front end aren't going to have as much of a body of work in kids senior seasons to you know, either ultimately make those decisions or to make those last-second offers, or they're probably not even going to have as easy a time finding those diamonds in the rough or those late bloomers. So how much does what the high school season could look like around the country impact recruiting from the college perspective? Um, I mean, I would say it, it does maybe affect the evaluations a, a little bit, but, you know, at least, um, you know, in, in some, some high school or I guess some states, um, it looks like aren't going to have high school football. So um, that obviously is a huge effect. I think as long as the state has high school ball, um, you know, that that's going to help from an evaluation process. Even if, you know, right now we don't know if coaches are going to be able to go see them live or, or not, but at least you'll get um, new huddle video. A lot of times uh, schools, schools aren't just pulling um, – 
you know, like a highlight video like you or me would watch on Huddle. They're trying to pull entire game film off of Huddle and actually can evaluate remotely that way as well. So as long as there are high school games of some kind, even if it's an abbreviated season, I think that's, that's helpful in the recruiting process as far as, you know, we're talking about evaluation and stuff like that. Uh, you know, one thing South Carolina is doing is actually, you know, evaluating tape of, of guys doing uh, doing other exercises and lifts and, and runs and stuff like you might see in a combine setting. So that, that's been a factor that, that's been involved. Uh, but as far as the actual recruiting process and decommitments and stuff like that, I, I think it's not really about the high school season. It's going to be more about when are these visits going to be allowed. And I, I think, you know, an interesting aspect here is that we've all been hoping and assuming that the kids are going to get to visit places at some point. And I think our thought process and belief is that once the visits take place, then that's when you're going to see a bunch of guys decommitting. Recruiting is going to make this big shift. Um, You know, all these guys are going to want to see other schools. And I think that's really going to be wholly determined on are visits actually allowed at some point and and how how many opportunities are there to take these visits? Is it, yeah, there are some visits, but it's going to be very limited. Um, if there's limited visiting, then there may not, there actually may not be this run on decommitments that we've all expected the entire time because mm-hmm. if you think about it, um, you know, we're, we're sort of anticipating that because kids are getting to campus and getting around coaching staffs and getting around current players and, uh, you know, having their feelings changed. If if you sort of made a reservation and then nothing changes as far as you getting to go to more schools, then uh, you're probably going to be more likely just to stick with the school that you've kind of been loyal to for however many months you've been committed. Chris, how much how much does does a senior season impact recruiting? Again, I know there are guys that are diamond in the rough and late developers, but it would seem to me, as someone that doesn't know anything about this, at least compared to what you and Wes know, which is why I'm asking you, it would seem to me that most of these schools are, are doing their legwork based on junior years, based on camp, and based on those visits, uh, like I said, but which we all know are uh, up in the air right now. So, I mean, how, how much... Well, what's going to be the what's going to be the cost, you know, for a place like South Carolina of not being able to watch some guys' senior seasons or only having a couple games? Um, well, I mean, when you, when you count the cost, so to speak, at the end of the cycle, I mean, I think you got to take sort of the temperature of things overall, you know, I mean, it can depend from year to year and it's, it's always about who you're getting and not necessarily who you're not getting, you know, I mean, do you, do you fill out the class with guys who are really good and can help take your program to the next level? And that's what you got to figure out regardless of the cycle. And it's more of a challenge this year for sure. But I mean, I think you just go back and look at, you know, samples. I mean, even like look at last class. So there's no summer camp this year, right? Well, South Carolina offered, I mean, off just the top of my head, they offered and got commitments from O'Donnell Fortune, uh, Trey Jones, Joey Hunter um, in the last class. I mean, the, this, and this isn't even counting, you know, the spring and summer visits that were so instrumental for guys like Jaheim Bell and, you know, a bunch of guys in the class. Um, they saw Makia Scott in camp. You know, he was an earlier offer, but they saw him in camp. You know, so there were a bunch of guys like that. And then even you go to, you know, senior years, there are guys that, yes, recruiting starts very early now, but there are guys that can crop up, have a big senior year, and then blow up. Jakari Caldwell was a guy that did that. I mean, if they didn't 
you know, if, if South Carolina was, say, full at the time or, like, they didn't play last season for some reason or whatever it may have been, you know, Jakari Caldwell may be committed to East Carolina right now instead of having offers from South Carolina and Tennessee and a bunch of other schools that offered him, you know, following a big senior year. So, um, you know, th- those things can certainly come up. But in this class, when you look at the actual numbers, you know, South Carolina is – you know, getting close, so to speak, to filling out their class. You know, they don't have a ton of spots left. It doesn't look like they can take 25 this year. What's the exact number? We don't really know. But I think you'll just have to look at it at the end and say, who'd they get? You know, that, that's really going to be the thing. They they haven't had summer camp to be able to look at DBs or other guys like they like to typically do. So you're having to project a little bit more, go off what you've already seen, go off what you've heard from sort of trusted sources. Wes, do you have any idea if the football season does happen? And like I said, if, say, there there is limited capacity in stadiums, do you know if there is an inclination? And I don't know if this comes from the conference, if this comes from the NCAA, or, or who makes this decision. But if that's the case, if we have a football season, is it a certain thing that official visits will be allowed this fall? I mean, I, I don't think right now that, that anything is necessarily certain. Uh, you know, if, if Chris has heard specifics, you know, definitely hop yeah. in, man. But I, I, I don't I don't think there's I don't think there are any givens um in any of this stuff. I mean, shoot, just, just literally a week ago we were all very, very concerned about, you know, is the season gonna take place, what is it gonna look like? And, you know, I mean this this is a roller coaster, guys. It's like up and down, up and down and and you know what? What's really changed? I, I mean, I, I think all this stuff is going to be determined by where things are from a broad perspective. Um, you know, daily cases. What are the hospital? You know, what's hospitalization numbers? What do they look like? Um, what do they look like specifically in the states and college towns of these universities? You know, I, I think all those things are going to. And the the reason why. People may say, well, why can't anyone make a decision? They keep pushing it back. Well, part of the reason you have to keep pushing it back, you have to, you have to start having a plan internally. But the reason I, I think you wait as long as you can, which is what the SEC is doing as far as their actual football schedule too, is that this thing has shifted so many times. Um, re, you know, rewind two months ago, and everybody thought we were on the downside of the curve. Um, or whatever the timeline is, I I'm not looking at it. But uh, you know, for a month, maybe in awful shape, or you know, fast forward a month, we may have declining cases, we have outstanding news on the vaccine, and there may be a new therapeutic that's been approved, and this thing is firmly looking to be in our rearview mirror in the near future. You know, so. I, I think, um, in a big picture standpoint, pretty much everything is up in the air just because we don't know what it's going to look like uh, week to week, or certainly not for for month to month. I know I'm sure they would love to have recruits in, but if there are no fans, which we still don't know if that's going to be the case. If there's no fans. Are you going to allow recruits to come instead? Mm-hmm. What protocols are you putting in? Are the recruits going to have to have a test, um, you know, on file before they can come? Um, I I I think the you know maybe you maybe you put in a situation, guys. I'm out this off the top of my head. Maybe you do away with unofficial visits 
and sort of because unofficial visits are just, hey man, we want you to come to campus for the game, and then guys just they show up or they don't show up. It's not it's very, I would say, informal. Official visits are more like to the team completely planned out. Uh, which family members are coming? What do you like to eat? Everything is already structured for an official visit. So there may be a, I would say, compromise where you say, all right, there's not going to be just Wild Wild West unofficial visits. You know, kids come in, uh, and kids on campus with their parents and their brothers and all this stuff. But maybe you at some point allow official visits, structure it. There has to be, you know, there maybe there's a protocol that goes on top of your normal official visit protocol just so these guys can at least take a few visits. Maybe even limit that. Every every kid gets three official visits or something. I, I think there is at least a path um, making this work. No, I think that's probably a, a smart call and a, and a safe call because, again, I mean, even if you are letting people into stadiums, it's still going to be limited capacity. So are you just going to let, you know, X amount of those seats that could have gone to people that are going to pay for tickets? And, again, the university is going to have to think about this, you know, from the financial perspective because gate is so much of what they take in in a given year. Are you just going to want to give those away to unofficial visitors? And I think the answer to that is is probably no. The other part of that is I think unofficial visitors would be, I guess, like speculative unofficial visitors would be probably less likely to just make an unofficial visit um, with everybody, you know, trying to take these precautions. And especially for these guys that are going to be in the middle of their high school season. So you don't want to take an unofficial visit somewhere, you know, maybe accidentally contract COVID-19 and then you're missing a couple of weeks, which in some of these places is going to be, you know, half of your high school season. So I think everyone's going to have to be a lot more careful um, in that respect. Uh, but what is going to be interesting too, uh, as we talk about, again, having anybody on campus is, a couple of months ago, to your point, Wes, about how much this changes, it was a non-starter. If students weren't back on campus, there was no way that football was going to happen. But that seems increasingly likely that there could be a virtual, there could be virtual classes for an entire semester, and it's essentially just the football players on campus, which you know, again, would, would in a lot of ways be uh, safer for the football players and for you know, I think just colleges at large. Um, but all that to say, uh, to your point, Wes, we don't know. Everything is changing, but at this point. No news is good news, and in just a couple of days, we're recording this Wednesday morning like we normally do, and on Friday, the South Carolina football team is going to get back onto the football field, or at least the practice fields. Uh, Chris, what is that going to look like? What are the protocols in place? Well, and Wes, did you have something you wanted to throw in there right before before I get started on that point? Yeah, I was just going to say real quick, um, as much as we sort of thought in the beginning, uh, you know, uh, students need to be on campus in order to feel good about football players being on campus and playing ball. It actually, you know, we, we've seen the NBA bubble up their players and, um, and it, it seems to be working. The problem with college football, especially if you have, I mean, what does USC have? 30 something thousand students now. Um, the problem is it's impossible to sort of bubble up a, a campus. So what, what effects will that have on, your COVID numbers once all these kids come back to campus. But if, if there is, you know, if campus starts out, if USC starts out virtual and it is just athletes, some people may have an issue with that just from a perception standpoint. But like you said, from a health standpoint, and frankly, from a, are we going to have a, seat, a full season standpoint without huge interruptions, that might actually, that, that's the best path. It mm-hmm. sucks for the current students. Because I, 
I mean, nobody wants to pay all this money to go to, you know, go to USC or any major school and have their college experience, you know, so severely affected by this. But as, if just talking about it from the scope of college football and the student athletes, um, if there were no students on campus, then the chances of all of this working out for college football, I would say go up a, a tremendous amount. Yeah, so – and I was going to hit on that, actually, with, with the students. You know, I had <laughs> – I've had more than one person associated with with other college football teams that, you know, I still keep in touch with, the people that, you know, you just know that move up in the industry or move around. And they've told me, you know, hey, once once students return, like if, if our football players are in contact, you know, depending on the school with, like, the student body at large, like – they basically said different iterations of like everything screwed or you know stuff like that, and so that's a huge concern, and much more than than the the own can you know the the bubbled environment that West says, which football players are already, you know, th- yeah they have interaction with the campus at large in typical years, but they're so busy and they're always around the facility, especially now with with every, with sort of the one stop shop that's the the uh, the long operations building. They're already sort of bubbled up a little bit, but now it's even more. And certainly what you want your guys to be wary of now is just, you know, that that necessity to sort of be really careful, you know, not, maybe not going <clears throat> maybe not going home all the time on the weekends or maybe, you know, not being around uh, other people that aren't, aren't sort of in that bubble. It's something you have to be wary of because you want to try to keep your team sort of together so you're not – spreading things around. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. So um, when you talk about the protocols, that's still, I mean, you're sort of training, you know, you're, you're doing it in pods, trying to keep guys bubbled up, you know, a while back. And I assume we're still on track with this. You know, they opened up things for where you're able to do, you know, more team official workouts. And we've seen South Carolina release some videos of that where players are actually able to go back on and do some of their player run practices and things like that, but they're still going to have to be careful. And my understanding is, you know, they're still doing, um, you know, temperature checks and monitoring for symptoms and all those different kinds of things. And at some point the, the expectation is whether it's South Carolina or really probably across the country, you're going to see the testing, you know, ramp up even more when and, and in what fashion, I'm not exactly sure right now. Yeah. So all that to say, uh, again, like, so much has changed in the last couple of months, and so much could absolutely change in the last couple of months, which I guess just leaves us with still a big shrug, even though someone's going to have to make a decision at some point. But, um, again, we're at kind of no news is good news, and uh, unless we find out that it absolutely cannot happen, it seems like the SEC and the Big 12 and uh, even the ACC, which seemed like they were leaning towards you know cutting their schedule right after the Big 10 and Pac-12 did it, are, are still kind of holding out and, and thinking that maybe – you know, if if we just wait long enough, things will things will turn as they have several times already throughout this entire process, and and allow you know college football to have a relatively normal season, at least in terms of the schedule and and you know things like that, and 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 nothing else about it. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get back into the bigger picture of college football in just a second. But um, I, I wanted to get into South Carolina specifically um, because again, they're going forward as scheduled, and uh, as the schedule was laid out a couple of months ago, this Friday they are going to be back on the field. I don't know what exactly that's going to look like, though. It's still uh, August 7th is the date that the preseason camp officially begins. But I guess, Wes, this marks the period in time when coaches are able to be a little bit more 
hands-on with practice, and it's uh, sort of an OTA kind of thing, so not a full preseason, but more than what they've been doing just in the weight room the last couple months. Yeah, this is like a, um, like you said, OTA style, sort of like the NFL. I would call it like a transition period, basically. So rather than just have to jump right into, you know, camp like you traditionally would, this is a move to um, sort of ease the guys back in. So you you ease them back into the weight room, and now you're going to ease them back onto the field um, according to the schedule that the NCAA put out uh, it was a little over a month ago basically they will move to 20 hour weeks um right now and then they will have walkthroughs with it with staff and a football presence so it's not full-on you know hitting and stuff like that but you can actually get on the field you can actually have a football out there and uh, you can go through walkthroughs and that'll give the guys a couple of weeks before uh, you know on august 7th is when they can start actual preseason camp, and that's just your traditional, um, you know, you can hit people, pads, and, and all that stuff, regular traditional camp. Although I think we're learning even that's going to probably look a little bit different in structure and, uh, you know, the possibility of guys wearing masks during that, the possibility. One thing I want to check into is, you know, our school is going to be using face shields. That, that was something – that was uh, put in the most recent NCAA return to play release was that there are certain face shields that you can buy as inserts to helmets that would at least in theory help as far as the, uh, you know, somebody contracting COVID from one of their teammates. So Mm -hmm. I think that's something to maybe look into is, is what are, you know, in the next couple of weeks, what are the big maybe uh, changes to the protocol of practice that, uh, that South Carolina and other schools put in. I guess one thing that I am wondering now, as we are here at OTAs in the beginning of the college football season, looking a lot more like the NFL season, Chris, obviously this has arisen out of need and an unforeseen and unfortunate circumstance. But after coaches and players get a taste of what it's like to essentially start your preseason a little bit early, how much of a lobby do you think there's going to be to keep this in place in future preseasons? And how likely do you think it is that this is just kind of what a college football preseason looks like? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe if we get through it, well, so the first thing, there'll be a split on on anything. I mean, there there's never hardly ever any lockstep on any on any one thing. Some coaches want this, want that. I mean, we even saw that with the early signing period. Some coaches didn't want an early signing period. Some definitely wanted it. Some like well, Muschamp for instance said, "Hey, um, you know, at least publicly he said, you know, hey, it is what it is. So my opinion really doesn't matter. We're going to take we're going to take the rules and we're going to deal with it. So, um, I, you know, I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe if players, coaches like it and they say we'd like to move to this type of model, then perhaps. But you know, I think one thing that the NCAA is going to consider, um, I would think, and and probably other relevant parties like coaches are, you know, you do want to give your players, you know, time off. So, for instance, I mean, they're they're adding in some extra. OTA style stuff. Now, is that wearing down your team? Probably not. But really, the reason that it's being added is because so many people either miss the entire spring or they miss part of the spring, right? And so, now that's a long time period. But maybe everybody just looks at it and says, "Well, if we had spring and we had OTAs and we had preseason camp, maybe that's too much." The players are working out in the winter and they're working out in the summer in between all those things. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's a fair 
I think that's a fair thing to say. I don't know at a time like mm-hmm. this, and I, and I really don't. But um, I'd imagine if it goes well and people like it, maybe some would like to keep it. Um, but some will probably just rather go back to the old model. So it'll be interesting to see. I just don't have a great answer. And, Wes, does this help teams like South Carolina and Georgia because they're going to have a little bit more time, again, on the field, hands-on, in addition to everything they've been able to do via Zoom and installing new offenses? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think it helps. I think it helps all teams, honestly. I, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, South Carolina at least got five spring practices in. Some, some schools got none. In. So, um, you know, and you're talking about, yeah, South Carolina's installing a new offense, but I mean, look, look at um, look at Missouri, look at Arkansas, look at look at these places that are installing a new everything, and uh, sort of put that in, you know, into perspective there. So, yeah, I, I think it helps South Carolina. I think I think this was actually, you know, we we sort of hate on the NCAA a lot, and they deserve it, I think, a lot of times, but. Um, I think you can look at this scenario and say they uh, they absolutely got it right. I, I think so, too. And, I, again, it usually makes sense to make fun of the NCAA, and I, I've seen a lot of people criticizing them for, you know, not really doing anything in this case and, and not having, you know, the centralized kind of power that a lot of people want. But I, I think the NCAA has done the right thing because it's impossible to to just send down a one-size-fits-all kind of anything for all conferences or all, you know, much less all schools. So I, I appreciate that they've taken a more hands-off approach and allowed schools and conferences to sort of regulate these things on their own. And I think, by and large, the conferences and the schools have done what makes sense for them, you know, starting workouts, shutting down if they need to, and then, again, we'll see how these OTAs go with, you know, adding a little more contact and not as much in the pods and things like that. But I, I appreciate the NCAA's approach. Um as we zoom out, um, because, again, uh, we're a couple days away from this actually starting, so the next time that the three of us do a podcast, we will have you know maybe a little bit of something, just things that trickle out of practice, and we'll start to get a, a little more of an idea of what the position battles are going to be and how those things are shaping up and, and different things like that. So we'll save you know most of that speculation for the early part of the training camp, which will be the next couple of weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, I, I mentioned reason for optimism this week in a couple of different ways, and, uh, Wes, I think you already mentioned it, a little bit earlier in the podcast, the NBA, a lot of people that listen to this don't necessarily pay attention to the NBA, haven't been paying attention to their, you know, pause and uh, the, the bubble and everything like that as they've tried to get uh, things back underway, which they're planning to do a week from Thursday, a week from tomorrow as we're recording this. But their recent batch of testing in which 346 players were tested yielded zero positive COVID-19 tests leading a lot of people around the country to say, hey, wait a second, for the first time ever, we actually plan to do something, or somebody plans to do something in this COVID-19 shutdown that actually worked, or at least is working. Uh, Mac Brown was very heartened by it, uh, told Dan Wolken yesterday that he felt like what's happening with the NBA and them creating a bubble is obviously a real positive. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a bubble around the football program, and guys, we, we talked a little bit earlier about what that could look like, especially if classes are virtual and you don't have a full student body Uh, back on campus the other piece of good news from this week in terms of getting all of us optimistic about football happening in a somewhat normal kind of way this fall is that the university of texas has come out and said hey as of right now we're gonna have limited capacity but it's 50 percent and chris it feels weird for me to be celebrating and cheering for a, a half empty stadium but i guess in this case it feels more like a half full stadium but for texas to do this is significant texas has clout they have weight, and especially around the Big 12, 
and I wouldn't be surprised if it's around the SEC too, a lot of people are going to take Texas lead and say, hey, whatever you're doing to make this a reality at your school, like, let us know. Let us know how you're implementing these protocols, what you're putting in place to have 50% of the stadium full because we want to do it too. And if Texas is optimistic that that's going to happen at this point, I feel like a lot of other schools are going to take heart in that. Yeah, that could be true. Now, I think there's a couple caveats to it. You know, one is, and Ray Tanner pointed this out, you know, he said that, hey, some schools may be half full, some may be 20%. And part of it is going to be guided by, you know, what do the local authorities say? I mean, for instance, if a governor of a state says, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not having, you know, 50% or you're not packing 50,000 people in a football stadium, then you're, you're sort of at the mercy of that, right? So there is that component. There's also that's Texas's plan right now. Could it change? Certainly could. I think their theirs was in part guided, if, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. It was in part guided by, you know, some direction they have got they had gotten from the state of Texas as to what would be allowed. You know, maybe if it's 75 percent, maybe Chris Del Conte would have come out and said, "Hey, we're, we're putting 75 percent in," or that's our plan. And, and they have been pretty upfront in saying we want to put you know, what's allowed in the stadium and we want to go and we want to play game one, you know, and that's their plan. And so, you know, certainly that could happen and other people could look around. Like you said, Texas has clout. They're a big school with a lot of money, um, you know, high profile program. And some people may say, if Texas is doing it, we're going to follow that lead. But I think we always have to say, if possible, there are going to be other people that, that may go the opposite direction and say that that's nice. Y'all have fun with that. We're not going to, go that route by our own decision so i still think you're going to see a lot of different schools of thoughts and and we've seen some smaller conferences for instance say we are not playing football this year at all um now there are different reasons that go into that um but it it will be interesting to see you know as things progress that the first decision and ray tanner pointed this out is you got to decide for sure that you're that you're playing on a national level or a conference level you got to pull the trigger on saying we're definitely playing this fall. Mm-hmm. Everybody's proceeding in terms of preparing for the season as if that's going to happen because that's what you have to do. But the conversations are, are still sort of ongoing on that. Wes, I, I don't know exactly where you were, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most optimistic and 1 being the most pessimistic a couple weeks ago. But where are you now relative to just a couple weeks ago? Um, that, that there's going to be a season? Mm-hmm. Or, or that it will... I don't know, because even a couple weeks ago when, when there was a lot of negativity and uncertainty, it still seemed like it, you know in the SEC, probably the Big 12, and again, as we know in the Big 10 and Pac-12, that there would at least be a conference-only schedule. But are, are you more optimistic now? Because I felt like that was a virtual certainty and like the, the baseline of what would happen this fall. But are you more optimistic now that it could be a fuller schedule with you know maybe 10 or 11 games and that there will be fans in the stands and it'll be... Uh, just more normal than we expected a couple weeks ago? Uh, I mean, I'm probably on the same plane, man, than I was. Because that that was last week, right? That was one week ago. Yeah, but that was before we knew that the bubble worked as well as it does, right? Uh, I mean, that that was exactly one week. So, I, you know, I'm I'm trying not to get on this roller coaster. Um, It's been up and down and up and down. Um, I'm I'm fairly optimistic we're going to have football of some kind. how you know how it actually looks and how many people are there and even how many games I, I did I, I did talk to someone tied in at Coastal and you know their their thought at least as far as what they're being told there is that you know they're still moving forward 
planning to to kick off their season against South Carolina, you know, on uh, on September fifth. I, I think that's the right date, September fifth, and um, that that's sort of how you know they're moving forward with with that as their plan. So, um, you know, that that sort of gives you the perspective from the other side. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously right now that's what South Carolina wants to do, and they all, but Coastal also sort of. Uh, from their perspective, has identified the end of this month as being just sort of, I mean, it, it seems like that's kind of the drop-dead days. Like, you have to have something by the end of this month in order to fully prepare all the little things that go into getting a football season ready from the team to, uh, you know, stadium workers to, to everything that's going to be involved with a football season. Oh, Chris. The next two weeks. I think the next two weeks are uh, – the determining factor, but I think the thing is, man, we still the we need the daily case numbers to start going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, let me throw one more thing at you again as we as we yeah. I guess talk about what what that decision might be in you know essentially a week and a half because July thirty first is a, uh, I think a week from Friday, maybe a week from Saturday. It, it's rapidly approaching. We've seen a lot of FCS schools for financial reasons, um, other reasons, decide that they're not going to play football this fall. The MEAC, the CAA, a couple other ones. Um, I, I guess is Coastal in the Southern Conference. Is that right? They're in the Sun Belt. Oh yeah, I always forget they're FBS now. I, I still think of them as an FCS. Team. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then that's uh, well, <laughs> that's uh, one embarrassing. I'm going to leave that in so people can make fun of me. Um, they've been FBS for like five years now. I should remember that, but I don't. I still think of them in FCS school. But anyway, if that still happens. And you play your eight conference games, which seem like they're going to happen no matter what. And it seems like even if there were a conference-only schedule, South Carolina and Clemson would find a way to play. Georgia and Georgia Tech, Kentucky, Louisville, those schools would find a way to play. Uh, And a couple weeks ago, the NCAA said, hey, if you want to schedule another FCS school to try to fill out your schedule, to try to make up some of the money or, you know, whatever the case may be, if you just want to see if you can get to 12 games or as close as you possibly can, you can do that. And you can count two FCS schools uh, towards your bowl eligibility now, which, again, I disagree with the spirit of that very much. I think that's a little bit silly and moving in the wrong direction, but it is an extenuating circumstance. Do you have any uh, reason to believe that South Carolina would try to do that if any FCS schools are, in fact, playing football? Let's say the Southern Conference doesn't cancel, and so Carolina keeps Wofford on its schedule. Would they try to add a Furman or someone like that to, to get to 12 if they're already that close? I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm using, I feel like people are going to say I'm using that as a crutch. I haven't heard anything specific on that. The, the things that I hear right now are more specific to, man, can, can we play? You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, you asked Wes about his optimism earlier. And I, I would say, you know, I might have personally a little bit more optimism that they're going to try to fit it in this fall. But as he said, the concerns that people had a week ago are still there. Right. They're still there. And they're not, those aren't, it doesn't appear those are going away. Maybe there's some huge swing in the next couple of weeks and we'll just have to see. But um, those concerns are still there until they're not. And, and even if they do play, um, and this may even be the case if they moved it to spring, honestly, th- there's a little bit of people who are just holding their nose and playing, you know, because it's not going to be under ideal circumstances in a variety of ways, whether it's, you know, public health-wise or financially, whatever it may be. Um, I, I have heard that there's not as much, which there was never a huge appetite. Nobody wanted to do it, for instance, but there, there's maybe a little bit less thought of football in the spring right now um, because I think as people have continued to talk through it, they've realized, A, um, ADs would still have to survive 
financially for a period of several months where they're not bringing in football revenue, which is tough. And then B, we have no idea if it's going to be any better um, or, or to some particular threshold that people would feel more comfortable from a public health or player health, whatever it may be, you know, scenario. So those things are still there too. But I, w- I would say, you know, it, everybody seems to agree that not playing like isn't on the table. Right. And so if that, if that's your stance, then when are you going to do it? And so it's either got to be now or it's got to be the spring. And so that's why maybe things are moving a little bit more towards guy. We may have to just pull the trigger and do this, but we'll just, there's still some time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that time is, uh, there is still time to go and there's time for things to change. And I, I think it's worth waiting. I think the SEC athletic directors have done the right thing again and, and waiting to the last minute. It, it makes people uncomfortable and it doesn't necessarily. I don't know, look great. I've seen a lot of people criticizing the SEC for saying, oh, you know, they're, they're so greedy. Why don't you just pull the trigger? Well, I, I think it's important that you leave yourself open to be flexible, and that's, I, I think, what they're doing, and, and that is a good thing. Now, uh, the next time we all talk on this podcast, we they probably won't have made an official decision again. The end of July is, I just checked, and it is a week from Friday, so we may not have anything, but maybe we will have uh, like something more than we have now. So I'm sure we'll revisit this conversation probably every week until we know. And in the meantime, we'll continue talking about football things because uh, until further notice, the football team is going to get back on the field on Friday and we'll be able to break down position groups, position battles, depth charts, things like that, uh, plus all the recruiting that continues year-round and has been you know, as busy this summer as, as it ever is. So check out GamecockCentral.com for the latest on all that, the latest on recruiting. Right now, Colin Taylor has a five things to watch as the Gamecocks get ready for on-field practices piece. Uh, he, Wes, you, Chris, all, all y'all do so much, and it, it's, uh, it's been amazing to me how much uh, y'all have done and how busy y'all have still been, despite the fact that we don't have live sports, uh, except Major League Baseball starts tomorrow. And the NBA starts uh, a week from tomorrow. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday, so Thursday Finally. and Thursday. Finally, yes, yes, can't wait. <laughs> Again, like th- those other things, like the fact that we're right on the cusp of professional sports leagues starting back, I-, I think just adds to my optimism because it's it's gonna feel a little more normal when I'm sitting at home on my couch watching Major League Baseball, watching the NBA, watching these things uh, actually happen, and it'll be like, you know what, they're doing it. College football, come on back. So. Uh, Anyway, I hope that's uh, cheering y'all up as well and keeping you optimistic. Uh, For Wes, for Chris, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. I'm Pearson. Um, Stay optimistic. Just believe it into existence. And we'll be back to talk more football, more recruiting next week.